The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. indeed everyone welcome along this is episode 175 of new zealand's longest running tech podcast the boys of tech this episode is for the week beginning monday the 16th of july 2012 my name is edwin herman and i'm your host for this episode in fact just looking at some of the stories ahead that we've got WikiLeaks claims a small victory against visa Dot-com does a deal with the FBI, and interesting results from a survey on online news versus newspapers. That and more in just a second. But first of all, we kick off this week with uh, WikiLeaks. Now, I mentioned they they claim a small victory against Visa in this case, and this victory is referring to an Icelandic court's ruling. And that ruling is that when, you may recall that uh, Visa... And I think MasterCard as well stopped payments or you know donations going in through to WikiLeaks. So the Icelandic court ruled that that was illegal because they had broken a contract, and they were asked to reinstate those payments. So when donations were made, the money had to go through to WikiLeaks. That's what the ruling was. Or they face a three thousand pound fine for every day they do not comply. So that's a small victory for WikiLeaks. Now, you might think that that means that donations will start flowing through again, but that's not necessarily the case. And the reason for that is that it works like this. In a typical credit card transaction, there are four parties involved. First of all, there's the customer, or it could be someone wanting to make a donation in the case of WikiLeaks. There's the issuing bank, which is that person's bank. There's the accepting bank, which is at the other end. This is at the WikiLeaks end, if you like. And then there is the merchant, which is WikiLeaks. So the merchant is the person receiving the funds. Now, what the ruling is, is that Valator, which is a new name for Visa Iceland, they've been ordered to honour incoming payments by paying those funds into WikiLeaks' bank account. Now, that sounds all well and good, but it's not entirely clear whether Visa and MasterCard are obliged to shuffle the funds between the two banks in the first place. So, in other words, what we're saying is that Visa and MasterCard could still block the transaction by refusing to transfer funds from the issuing bank to the accepting bank. So, in that case, Valator, in this case, would actually have nothing to put into WikiLeaks account. So, it's not really a complete victory in the sense that it doesn't necessarily mean that funds will start flowing because Visa and MasterCard, uh, I think, will still be blocking the uh, interbank transactions. But still, it's, uh, you know, you could call it a small victory, if you like, and, and that's exactly what they're calling it. Now, we hadn't actually seen a, a WikiLeaks story for a while. It, it sort of went a little quiet on the WikiLeaks front there for a while. Now, on the .com front, Kim.com's done a deal with the FBI. He's offered a deal, I should say. He hasn't done a deal. He's offered a deal with the FBI. And the deal is this. 
he will willingly go to the US. He will be willing to to face trial in the US, provided that he and his co-defendants are given a guarantee of a fair trial, that they're also given money to pay for a defence, and that they get given funds to support themselves and their families. And Kim.com's words about this offer that he's making is, they will never agree to this, and that is because they can't win this case, and they know that already. So it's a smart move on the part of Kim.com, really, especially if Kim is right in, in, in his assumptions. Quite how the FBI is going to react to the offer, I, we have no idea. But, you know, let's see what happens. It may be that they'll be happy to let... Because, uh, you know, Kim.com, of course, is saying that what's happening at the moment is that they're, they're freezing his funds. Uh, so he's got something like 22 lawyers working on this case. And he hasn't paid their bills. And he's not able to pay their bills. And Kim.com believes their tactic is to simply run him into the ground. So to, to keep... Because every time they make a move, Kim.com has to then... Uh, get his lawyers working on that new thing and so they he thinks they're just trying to run him into the ground and drag this thing out until he either has no money left or that the lawyers well he has a lot of money so I, I guess that could take a while but certainly until the lawyers refuse to continue working because of non-payment so that's what kim.com thinks and hence he's made this offer uh, to the fbi which i think is actually quite a bold move because here he is saying i'm happy to be trialed in the u.s you know, he's not saying, he's not doing some other sort of deal like, here, let me st- uh, let me stay here and I'll do this and that. No, he's saying, fine, I'll I'll go to the US. Let let's go. But here are the conditions. And to be fair, if you if you ask about the conditions, they seem pretty reasonable. Let me recap. He wants a guarantee of a fair trial. He wants money to pay for his defence. Yeah, fair enough. And he wants funds so that he and his co-defendants and their families are able to support themselves. And let's face it, you can't ask fairer than that. And by the way, Kim.com's about to uh, to release his first single, Mr. President. Uh, so look out for that. I don't know quite where it's going to be offered, whether it's going to be for sale or whether it's going to be a freebie. But yeah, I'm sure we'll report it. In fact, we might even play it on the show. Now, the University of Oxford has launched a major study to examine how the digital revolution is changing the way we access news. Now, they surveyed five countries, the UK, the US, France, Germany and Denmark. And what was interesting was that the results vary quite a bit from country to country. For example, in Germany, people there prefer a newspaper, a physical newspaper, whereas in the UK and the US most of them prefer uh, getting the news online. Now, in the UK, only 4% of those surveyed said they had paid for news online. Meanwhile, in Denmark, they had the the highest rate there, 12% of consumers having paid for news online. You know, to be honest, both those figures seem very high to me, even 4%. That's 1 in 25. So think of 25 of your friends or people you know on average, in the UK at least anyway, if you're in the UK, on average one of them will have paid for news online. That seems quite high. I don't, I don't think I know anyone who's paid for news online. They should have surveyed New Zealand. That would have been an interesting comparison, I'll tell you that. I can't imagine it's as high as 4%, but really, I'm only guessing. Also interesting, but not really surprising, is that the younger generation watch fewer traditional television news bulletins than the older generation. 
and also the the younger generation listen to far less news on the radio as well. But they do spend far more time accessing news on their mobile phones, which is really, I guess, not that surprising. In the UK, Facebook is the most important network for news, and that accounts for 55% of all news sharing, followed by email and then Twitter. Email at 33%, Twitter at 23%. So how do you like to get your news? Do you prefer a physical newspaper you can thumb through? Or do you, want to, do you prefer it online? Or perhaps both in different situations? And I'll tell you what, that the latter category, that's me. You know, I like, sometimes I like to thumb through a newspaper, you know, it's just, it's a nice way of getting your news. But other times, mostly I, I guess when I'm on the run, when I have very little time, I'll log on to one of the news sites and just browse through the stories. So I guess it's, um, yeah, different mediums for different situations. Now, Yahoo is investigating the exposure of 400,000 passwords. That's not looking good for them at all. What are they doing? I'll tell you what, I'm not going to go into the details because this is just yet one of these, uh, it's been all over the news for a start. And secondly, it's, uh, you know, this does happen from time to time. It's not nothing extraordinary. Uh, but 450,000 IDs and passwords exposed. The bit, though, that I wanted to pick on, it, well, in fact, two bits. First of all, the hackers used a well-established technique uh, known as SQL injection. And that's basically where you... Uh, inject some SQL string into an input field usually that is unprotected or not properly uh, parsed. So for a start, that's kind of like, well, you know, they, they shouldn't really, you know, these are well-known techniques. They, 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 there shouldn't be any excuse for that. But secondly, and this to me is the most alarming, is the fact that the passwords, would you believe it? And uh, I know if Brett King was on the show on the panel uh, this week, he, he would have a lot to say about this that the passwords were stored entirely unencrypted. I mean, who does this? Who stores their passwords unencrypted? Yahoo, obviously. But, I mean, come on. This is like Security 101. It's even more fundamental than that. This is just really simple stuff. You don't store your passwords unencrypted. You create a hash of them, and then when someone wants to authenticate, you take the proposed password that they've entered, you hash that and compare the two hashes. That's how you do it. And that way, if something gets compromised, they've only got the hashes, which are, well, depending on the hash, that can be quite difficult to reverse. Silly Yahoo, what can I say? A couple of more stories I want to talk about in the New Zealand section. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about Vodafone buying Telstra Clear. And also, a <laughs> this is a funny one, a teenager files a theft report with the police because his father had confiscated his Xbox. <laughs> Don't go away. Welcome back. Now, Vodafone, it's all over the news here in New Zealand. Vodafone is indeed buying Telstra Clear. And it's interesting the different responses that there have been on this. The Telecommunications Users Association of New Zealand, uh, well, it's the CEO thereof, Paul Brislin, said that increased competition should mean better and cheaper deals for the customers. However, Consumer New Zealand head Sue Chetwin warns that the move could actually mean higher prices. And what she's getting out there is that this won't turn into any competition at all. They'll just be a duopoly. And you know what? I call me cynical, but I I can see a duopoly working quite well here in New Zealand. So that's what I think is going to happen. I think she's right. I think she's right on the money. Paul Brislin, I think, is a little optimistic. But, you know, it puts Vodafone in a very good position. 
they get uh, fixed line, they get cable, they get, uh, what else do they get? I think they get some mobile spectrum as well, in addition to what they've already got. So this is good for Vodafone. This puts them in a very good position, and indeed a very cosy position in which a duopoly could be created. Call me cynical, but that's what I say is going to happen. Incidentally, we just uh, moved away from Telstra Clare, and I think I did it at the right time, because, you know, Telstra Clare has to be my favourite ISP here in New Zealand. Though, you know, since Vodafone bought them, I don't know why, but I, I can't see this being a good thing. And I think we, we talked about this a while ago, how it's likely, especially on the cable, I, I can't see them offering as good a service as Telstra Clare has, has done over the last decade or so. But, you know, that remains to be seen. Now, here's a story about the teenager. Uh, This is a 17-year-old in Christchurch. He called police because his father confiscated his Xbox. Now, this actually happened in late May. The the teenager there received a bad school report. And so his father did... I think he did did the right thing, didn't he? He confiscated the Xbox because this year 13 pupil spends two to three hours a day after school on the Xbox... On weekends, between five and six hours a day, and in the school holidays, up to eight hours straight. So this clearly is, is becoming an addiction for him, and you know his, his school grades are suffering. So the father did the right thing. But of course, he the, the teenager went and filed a, a theft report with the police. And normally, when someone files a theft report, the police would follow up. Of course, in this case, they'd spoken to several family members and encouraged the parties to resolve the issue amongst themselves and decided that no investigation into the complaint will be made because it was unlikely that it would meet the public interest threshold for criminal proceedings. And that makes sense too. I mean, come on. But, you know, I'll say this. He's determined. This teenager is determined. And I I think it's probably, in part that his love for Xbox is really more of an addiction than a love. That's probably uh, a good part of it. That is episode 175. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope to catch you again next week. Goodbye, everyone. Take care. (laughs) 